0: Well, it's good to see you all. Let's uh, open up with prayer. <clears throat> Father, it is so good to join together. We thank you for this, this evening and this opportunity to collect together in your name, to enjoy your presence. And we want to take a moment and turn our attention and <clears throat> turn our hearts toward you entirely. We relieve ourselves right now of any anxiety, Lord, of any of life's cares that might try to intrude upon this moment, intrude upon our communion with you, or intrude upon our peace in you. So, right now, we very intentionally cast our cares upon you. We release all of our concerns, any source of anxiety or stress, we release into your hands now in Jesus' name. Thank you for loving us so, for caring so tenderly and so deeply for us. We thank you for your peace now. May it, may it rest upon our lives. May it mount guard now over our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. And preserve it, Lord. May quietness and rest be ours. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Open up, if you would, please, to John the 16th chapter. I want to point something out, uh, this uh, real quickly, uh, as we begin tonight regarding the ministry of the Holy Spirit, particularly. In relation to something I said last week, <laughs> excuse me, um, with regard to the the power that was promised to the church uh, through the coming of the Holy Spirit, and especially through His infilling, uh, this this filling up of the believer that Jesus promised and spoke of in particular in Acts, the first chapter. And I mentioned that this power um, uh, was given to the church, not so much for miracles as we often think, uh, but (laughs) uh, to empower us to lead the life that we are called to lead as believers, and that a life lived in such a fashion, a life lived in... uh, in which the fruit of the Spirit, love, is revealed in its many facets and its virtues, that that provides for the world an extraordinary witness. Jesus, after all, I believe in John 13, said simply that the world will know us by our love. But I, I, <clears throat> I stated that a, a bit carelessly, I think, and I wanted to rectify that this evening. Certainly that power was also given that miracles might attend our witness. So this power is to be revealed in signs and wonders and miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to correct that uh, this evening, Uh, and and we're going to uh, look at that in in some depth. But I did want to, before we uh, do that, I want want you to look with me at John chapter 16. Here Jesus uh, again promises to us uh, this Holy Spirit who will come because Jesus goes to the Father, and he specifically states um, one of the great purposes uh, in his coming. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Let's begin with uh, verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me. That would, of course, be God the Father. And none of you asked me, Where are you going? But because I have said to you, Sorrow said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the paraclete, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And of course, as we have emphasized over the last couple of weeks, God the Holy Spirit comes to us, and in his coming, Christ comes to us. Just as, as uh, God came to us in Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, and Jesus said, of course, to Thomas in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He then said to his disciples a few verses later, um, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you alone. I will come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so now Jesus is explaining that if he does not go away, he cannot send the Holy Spirit, who promises not only to be with us, as Jesus was with the disciples, but also he will be in us. So there is a profound new level of communion and intimacy that becomes possible this infilling of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, so, let's see, where was I here? No, no, I, I skipped ahead. Um, verse 8, rather. And he, when he comes, I want you to look very closely at this language. It's fairly dense, and there's a great deal to unpack. He said, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine, and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine, and will disclose it to you. So in particular, the Holy Spirit is coming, and in partnership with the church, he comes to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now this is shrouded in grace. And it speaks of God's love and mercy. And this is accomplished through the coming of the paraclete. In partnership with the church through this infilling. We're going to look at that later next week. There's a lot to unpack here. But I want you to simply ponder that over the next week. Uh, there's a great deal here. It's, it's very exciting, and it really does address one of the, the es- uh, essential functions of the infilling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. But tonight, I want you to turn with me, please, uh, back to Acts chapter 1. <laughs> Excuse me. Acts chapter 1. We'll begin again with verse 1. The first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is introducing this, uh, once again, this baptism with the Holy Spirit and is an effect, John announced that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. So it is very much a Jesus experience. Verse 6, So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's a wonderful and exciting verse of Scripture. I'd like you to say that. Let's repeat that sentence aloud together tonight. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Isn't that marvelous? We have received power. Because the Holy Spirit has come upon us. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. We're witnesses. Witnesses of what? We're not merely witnesses about a book that we read. We're not simply Christians because we've read this book and believe it. We are witnesses because we've believed upon Christ, and we've received the witness of the Holy Spirit, according to Romans eight. And He cries out in our hearts, what He bears witness with our spirit, crying out, "Abba, Father," an old Aramaic term that really, in our uh, in our vernacular, I I think is uh, uh, our closest. Word would be daddy. It's a very intimate, personal reference to father. And uh, that's what we are witnessing. What we've actually experienced. Not merely a a new philosophy or a belief system we've embraced, but experience we've had with Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were called upon in a court of law, to serve as a witness, you would be expected to testify of something you had personal knowledge of. That you had an experience, which would somehow contribute to an argument made by the defense or by the, the uh, plaintiff. And uh, one of the things which uh, would, or, or, or let me ask you rather, what would strengthen significantly your testimony. Evidence. Evidence, something which attests to what you are testifying to, what what you are a witness of. Hebrews, the second chapter. Uh, Let's look there, please. Hebrews, chapter 2. Let's begin with verse uh, 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them both by what? Signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Isn't there something marvelous about a miracle? Or experiencing the reality of God through the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? It is convincing. It'll it, it, it gives pause even to the skeptic. But it, we find it who are believers deeply encouraging, don't we? Would you like, as a witness, to provide more evidence for those your Testifying to, yeah, I I sure want to be able to provide more evidence, greater evidence, and the the wonderful thing is we can, and we are expected to. Keep your uh uh well actually no we're we're finished here. Turn with me to Mark chapter sixteen, please. The Gospel of Mark, the sixteenth chapter. Let's begin with verse 14. <laughs> Afterward, he, Jesus, appeared to the eleven disciples themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now, we think sometimes of exotic locales when we, when we ponder this this command, this great commission. Go into all the world. Yes, I should go to um, deepest, darkest Africa, or I should I should wander through the Amazon basin and find uh, untouched uh, people groups. I should go to Latin America, or I should go to Asia or Europe. And, and, and the Lord may well send you there, but um, when we pass through those two red doors, We're going into all the world. When you step into your bank, you're going into all the world. When you you, uh, walk into the public, you're going into all the world. When you go to class, when you leave class, we are going into all the world. And I will tell you, there really is a mission field, a great mission field in North America now, uh, if you look at polling data, there's there are so many who have had no real exposure to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and people are and, and there's something you know again you think of ministering in an exotic locale and you think well it's easier or exciting people are people. I have. I was in Moscow before the collapse of the Soviet Union. I've been in China. I've been in Africa. I've been in South America, Central America, um, I've been to Mars and Venus. oh no, wait a minute. Um, I've been in in great cities. I've been in the country, I've been in the jungle, and people are people. And it's remarkable how similar. All of our needs and desires are regardless of context. I've also discovered that it's not any easier nor any more difficult to share the good news with someone in another country than it is right here in our own backyards. Save for the fact that you don't have to uh, be as preoccupied with Whatever the demands of cross-cultural communication might be, this is our culture. It's easy to speak easier to speak into it effectively. Um, and this ought to enthuse us, the opportunity to share the good news. Now lots of people break out in sweat when they even consider the possibility of sharing their faith. Because they often think about a very stilted conversation in which they, you know, just suddenly break away from whatever their topic is and say something like, "Say, have you heard of the four spiritual laws?" Or, uh, or the really stunning one, ha- "Do you know Jesus?" That's terrifying that kind of question to most people, you know. Um, or, "Are you saved?" And and I'm not suggesting that God may not at some point have you ask or or make those very statements, but often it's merely being available to speak the right word at the right moment. A word in season. God knows the word uh, that will penetrate someone's heart and make a difference. And we simply need to be available to share whatever that word might be. And it may just be a few words Or it may be a lengthy conversation. But if we're available and we have a hearing ear, I'm convinced God will use us so often just to share the good news with people. And that is, after all, what we're sharing. The gospel literally means the good news. And so Jesus is commissioning the disciples, go uh, into all the world and preach what? The good news. That's the message we bear. Good news. Jesus loves you. God loves you. He sent his son, Jesus. He's made a way for you to be reconciled to himself. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. Now he's talking about you. And a particular set of signs that will attend your witness, that will attend your testimony. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. That doesn't mean we're going around. Now, have you heard of services or or small churches? Typically, they seem to be clustered in Appalachia where snake handlers are. They literally bring out boxes of of uh, poisonous snakes, venomous snakes, and they will they will and, and people have been bitten and some have died. You know, I heard about one fellow that happened into a church like that, and he asked them where the back door was, and they said there isn't one. He said, "Where would you like it?" <laughs> um, but this is more akin to what what Paul experienced. Remember, they had shipwrecked. And, and they had built a fire. Uh, the survivors there, which well, all of them survived actually, built a fire, and, and Paul apparently was helping to build the fire, and there was a poisonous uh, snake in the bundle of sticks they had collected, and it bit Paul on the hand. And he simply shook it off. And they were amazed that he suffered no ill effects. He certainly didn't die, but he seemed to suffer no ill effects at all from it. This is really what it's talking about. In other words, we enjoy divine protection as we go forth as his witnesses. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Let's read this last clause together aloud, please. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. That's a ministry that you have. That is not a ministry that is relegated only to uh, um, priests and pastors, uh, to deacons. It is a ministry that has been given to all of those who believe upon Christ and will venture out into the world to declare to the world the good news. And that witness can be and should be attended by these evidences of God's reality Signs and wonders, mighty deeds, healings, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Would you like to, let me ask you, would you like to, I think John Wimber called it doing the stuff. Would you like to do the stuff? Would you like to lay hands on the sick and see them recover? Now remember this, miracles attest to the reality of God, but never forget this. Please never forget this. That is not their primary purpose. That is their secondary effect. What is their primary purpose? Why did Jesus heal? He was moved with compassion. Acts 10.38, Peter declared how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed, He asked the religious leaders who um, were angered that he should consider healing a woman on the Sabbath. And he said, should not this woman bound these 18 years be released from her infirmity? Bound by the devil for 18 years, shouldn't she be released from her infirmity? God yearns to comfort people to end their suffering. Are are you ever moved when you see people that are hurting? Don't you want to do something? How could I change this? How could I alleviate this pain, this suffering? And we've been equipped, called and equipped to do that very thing. What might happen in Gainesville and, and, and the surrounding uh, towns and bergs, if we were all as believers just going out regularly and sharing the good news and ministering to people and allowing God's power to be revealed through signs and wonders, through healing, through gifts of the Spirit, I have a feeling it would have an exceptional impact on the region, don't you? So I want to challenge you to begin imagining that possibility. That that is a ministry that you have been called to. You're not going to be called to it. You are called to it. Now, sometimes God especially equips us to do it. Now, I'm standing here tonight. Why am I standing here tonight? Because God called me to function in this capacity and gave me a grace to do that. Uh, some others might be called to do that. It was interesting, I was praying last week, I hope you don't mind if I share this, Maddie, but uh, as I was praying for Maddie last week, suddenly the Lord spoke to me to encourage her to yield to him as he wishes to speak, to, to uh, find his voice through her, speaking to her peers. And I think that uh, God will a- anoint us Certain of us to do that at certain times, but all of us at all times are called to testify to the reality of uh, God and the new birth that we have experienced and to expect the ability to provide evidence for people as we share our testimony. All of us all the time okay how does that happen then because it's not happening a lot is it i mean let's just be let's be honest that's not happening a lot <laughs> but it can how this power of the holy spirit that has been given us is a given to us in part to this end I referred to um, uh, Matthew the eighth chapter last w- last week. Let's turn there. Matthew chapter eight, the familiar story. Uh, w- I mentioned last week this uh, uh, simple idea that's communicated to us in Romans ten seventeen: faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So faith comes through hearing the word, but the word which uh, occurs in Romans 10, 17, in the original text is the word rhema. And it means a God-breathed word. It's different from the logos, the written word. It is God's word spoken to us by His Spirit. That ignites in our faith an enduring, persistent, living faith that serves as a catalyst for miracles. How do we encourage this Rama word in our lives so that faith uh, can grow and develop in our own life I tell you let's let's skip ahead to Matthew the seventeenth chapter um, Jesus had uh, he was approached by a gentleman here in Matthew seventeen who said he had brought his uh, sons beginning with verse fourteen his son rather to his disciples and uh in in, um, in hope that they might uh, minister deliverance to him. Verse 14, When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could uh, we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. Say that phrase with me, littleness of faith. We've all had that uh, sense before, that that sensation that our faith was ill-matched to the um, need that we were facing because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. And nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by what? Prayer and fasting. This kind of what? No. Look look at that. Is that really what? That's not the subject of his remarks, no? Why couldn't they cast him out? Because of the littleness of their faith. It was their unbelief. This kind of unbelief does not come out but by prayer and fasting. I don't see the connection, Larry. I can understand prayer and fasting driving out a demon, though really there's really not much of a nexus there. But how is it that prayer and fasting um, drives out unbelief? Well, look with me at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. What does prayer and fasting achieve? This morning I had a wonderful conversation with some missionary friends in Thailand. We had a, a video chat for about an hour. And we had just a a marvelous, um, really enriching conversation. They spoke with me and I spoke with them. We exchanged ideas. That's what prayer is. It is a conversation with God. We are suddenly setting time aside. And we are directing our attention, our focus, to Him. And we're speaking to Him. And we are listening as God speaks to us. What does fasting accomplish? We're not earning brownie points when we fast, are we? It's not as if it is a sacrifice and we're expecting God to somehow bless that sacrifice. Hey! I haven't eaten for three days, so do something already. Nothing like that. What what does fasting achieve? Yeah, it allows us to silence the voice of our flesh and our own mind that's pressing us constantly. I mean, it's amazing. You know, I can be uh, working at my desk, And when it's lunchtime, I know I don't have to consult the clock. I know my voice or my body speaks up and says, "Larry, now would be a wonderful time to go eat." And if I don't, it will say, "Larry, I said now would be a wonderful time to go (laughs) go eat." It lets me know. And how many of you have? thoughts just racing through your mind throughout the day. Fasting starts to silence those. It Fasting is, in the language of Paul, putting your body under. It allows you to focus on the reality of God and his kingdom and to hear him more clearly. Acts chapter uh, 13, beginning with verse 1, Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, say that with me, while they were ministering to the Lord, they were praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit spoke. The Holy Spirit spoke to them as they prayed and fasted. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the God-breathed Word. Who is breathing this Word to us? God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said He comes to disclose to us the things which God has for us. Turn now to 1 Corinthians 2. We can encourage this dynamic in our lives, intentionally. We're we're preparing to close. Stay with me, please. 1 Corinthians 2, Um, beginning with verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. That is where our faith finds root. This is the confidence, John wrote, that we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, we know that He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know that we have the things we have desired from Him. He's simply uh, diagramming for us the operation of faith. So it's founded in knowledge. What has the Holy Spirit been sent to do? Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. What is he saying? He's saying that this revelation knowledge, this revealed knowledge, this this these disclosures by God the Holy Spirit, it is not predominantly, at least initially, it is not an intellectual um, experience. Our intellect is eventually informed, but it is communicated to us by His Spirit to our reborn human spirit. It's rather like what we read several weeks ago when uh, Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're a lie. Yeah or one of the prophets, and then he said pointedly, who do you say that I am? Silent. And then Peter blurts out, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father, which is in heaven. Impulsive Peter had not uh, hit upon Uh, the truth of who Jesus was because he had been observing Him and pondering the mystery of Christ while he had been following Him. God suddenly revealed it to him by His Spirit, and he suddenly knew who Jesus was. The same thing happens to us. A sudden knowing erupts in our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it does eventually inform our intellect but it was not an intellectual process. It was a spiritual process and a spiritual dynamic which eventually informed the intellect. How do we encourage this? By turning our thoughts toward Him. We want to renew our minds with the Word of God. We're commanded to do that. So that when He speaks, we're becoming more familiar with the language of God. I think it was a few weeks ago where I gave the example of... um, yeah, do you there was a woman here she ended up speaking what five languages or um, something. Do you speak Spanish? So if I began speaking to you in Spanish, which I don't know, um, you could hear the sound of my voice. you could hear the words which I'm saying. You would have no idea, however, what their meaning is. God is speaking to us regularly, guys. I am convinced of it. He speaks to us, but so often we are unable to discern the meaning of His words. We are commanded to continue in the Word of God. Jesus said, continue in my Word, then you're taught of me, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Paul urges us in Romans 12 to renew our minds. As we spend time in the Bible, we begin learning God's language, thinking in terms consistent with His thoughts and with His ways, so that when He, by His Spirit, speaks to us, we recognize it we can assign meaning to what we're hearing. And the Holy Spirit seizes upon those words that are in our heart and He illuminates them. Paul, again, we'll look at this in in the coming weeks, but he prayed for the church in Ephesus. These were believers. But he prayed that God would grant them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that they might know the things which are freely given to them of God. He lists three specific things. So he was praying for believers, and this is my prayer for you all, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, so that like Peter, just suddenly you will know things. Spiritual truths and reality. God by His Spirit revealing to you the things that He has freely given to you. And if you have a knowledge of those things, what happens? This is the confidence that we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, we know that He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know we have those things we've desired of Him. So faith, faith is grounded in knowledge, isn't it? Your faith will grow. The unbelief that stands between you and God's best is displaced by the um, uh, presence of faith in our heart, as God, by His Spirit, speaks to us. So, I want to encourage you. I think we'll we'll stop there, but I want to encourage you now. We we obviously have a lot to unpack here, and we'll continue to do that. Are you finding this helpful? Encouraging? The the good news about this, guys, is we can be intentional. We don't simply have to wait. Well, I'm waiting for God to sovereignly um, release into my heart faith. He has already sovereignly chosen to set in motion everything that's necessary for that to occur. Now the next step is ours. So I want to encourage you to spend some extra time in the in the Word of God. Just read it, and it's not a you, you don't have to. Well, I'm going to read five chapters today. Maybe you only read one chapter. Maybe you only read a few verses, but you think about those verses throughout the day. Let God speak to you through them, and take some time. You know, you don't need to go on a three-day fast unless the Lord tells you to, but maybe skip a meal. And while you skip that meal, spend a little extra time praying. But most of all, just pray. You don't have to have a prayer bench to pray. You don't have to have a prayer closet to pray. You can turn wherever you are into a sacred space and begin to pray. Just have a conversation with God. Turn your thoughts toward Him. And begin to think of Him and speak to Him. And then as you do, keep your ears open. Because God is going to want to talk back to you. He loves you. If you go and sit down with with Daddy, with Father God, and you start pouring out your heart to Him, He's going to want to say some things to you that are encouraging and that that yield faith in your heart. So I, I guess most of all, I'm just saying to you, we can be intentional about this. And as we devote ourselves to these practices, we'll become better at them, and you will discover faith growing in your heart, and it will make a tremendous difference in your own lives concerning your the, the, the challenges uh, that you meet, the desires that you have. But when you begin to venture out and share the good news with people, you will have confidence deep inside to say, can I pray with you? And you will be surprised at the number of people who will say, sure, yeah, I've got a need. And you just pray for them. And God unleashes His power in their life and experience. And now they have evidence that underscores the reality of this truth they've just heard. And they may very well choose to embrace Jesus on the basis of your witness and the evidence you provided to back it up. Father, thank you for this evening and and for this word that you've given us. And I pray, Lord, (laughs) that you would encourage us in it. Give us understanding. And Lord, we we ask you right now very, very boldly and, and very carefully to give us, Lord, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, we, we want to know you more deeply, more intimately, and enjoy you more fully. And we want faith, Lord, to be ignited in our heart, enduring, persevering faith, great faith, Lord, that we don't only employ in our own lives, but we deploy it on behalf of others so that you can supernaturally meet their needs. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you've been very patient tonight. Thank you. And uh, for those of you who want prayer, and I want to encourage you, as you come up for prayer, get, have, your, have your heart fixed what, what it is you're trusting the Lord for tonight. And when you come up here, just take hold of that thing. When you're prayed for you take hold of it by faith. And know, I'm leaving this place of prayer tonight with my prayer answered, and, and I'm going to give thanks for it as I go. All right, God bless you. <laughs> you know how to start this?